0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Today I just want to welcome and say hello to our good friend Melissa Longley. Melissa
1: has
0: served here at the church for quite a long time and then the Lord called her to do almost the same things, but in Jerusalem. And uh has been uh has been uh, on assignment in the Holy Land. And in this year, uh the assignment looks like it's going from temporary to permanent. Uh, so uh She's going to do a month of training, and then, uh, then there'll also there'll be a board, uh, our board of directors will meet for the CMA, and we're hoping that that will all become permanent and final this February, right? Yes, end of February. End of February. We love Melissa. We're glad she's here. She's going to be around in every uh, service. She's, I think we set her up with a booth, or no, a table, a, <laughs> a tent, I don't know, a, a desk, okay, a desk. So if you want to say hello to her, I know she loves getting more and more people on her prayer team. And so that would be awesome if you want to connect with Melissa. Melissa, we're glad you're here. We love you. So every year when we start the first Sunday of the year, I, I, I spend the week just trying to ask the Lord, what, what do you have for us in 2019? What do you have for our church? What do you have for our people? And the Lord impressed on me this, this idea that he does not want you as a people, he doesn't want you as individuals or families, he doesn't want you to try to live a year where you're trying to earn your blessings, where you're trying to work for the favor of the Lord, but rather he wants you to understand and start and establish you right here, right now, as people who are working from blessing, not for blessing. Who are working from the favor of God instead of trying to work for the favor of God. Everything changes with that belief and that perspective. And the, the foundation of this is not just wishful thinking. It's abso, absolute biblical teaching. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 1. So I love it when you read God's Word out loud together as a church. So we're going to read Ephesians 1 as our first Scripture verse for 2019 as a church. And I believe God... Wants to speak to you about your life, your family's life, your job, everything about you because he wants you to operate from blessing. All right? Look at your neighbor and say, From blessing. Okay? Uh, The more we get that into our head, the more you're going to realize that it makes all the difference in the world. I can prophesy right now: 2019, you're going to have some challenges. I can see them. <laughs> trials, some certain trials, you know. So, but how you face those trials is everything. If you are wishy-washy about blessing, then the trial will overwhelm you. But if you are firmly established saying, I am operating in this trial from blessing, then you will not be overcome. You will overcome. Okay? So let's read this together. and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, from verse 3 to verse 14, Paul does what every English teacher tells you not to do. He would get incredible red marks here. He makes one complete run-on sentence connecting fragment after fragment As a matter of fact, in grief, gets one participle after another. And he does so because he has such an enthusiasm. He has such a reaction to the love and the grace of God. He is speaking well of God. It's as if he's eulogizing the living God. And as he does so, he unpacks for us these blessings that are ours because of who Christ is and what Christ has done and who we are in Christ. If I could contrast this in a way to what I was teaching on last week. When Adam woke up and God had created Eve, the first words out of Adam's mouth were an Etta James song. At last, love has arrived. You know, the lonely days are gone, he says. Finally, I'm not going to hug a giraffe anymore. You know, he starts going off in a Hebrew poetry there as he sees his bride. And He says as the bridegroom, I found you, and finding you, I have found Me. And He says, seeing you, I have seen Me. It's just, it's just a, a, an eruption of praise that comes forth when you are captivated by your Beloved. And what we see here is not unconnected because Jesus is our bridegroom. And when you see Him, when you've experienced Him, when you've really encountered Him, what comes forth Is just a stream of consciousness of love. Even the unpoetic become poetic. And what Paul does is he just pours this out. And what this shows is if you reduce Christianity to morality or you reduce it to nothing more than religious obligation, then you do not have Christianity. Christianity is an eruption of praise for the grace of God. It is an encounter with the living God that gives the unlovable person love for the first time. At last, love has arrived, and when that happens, it does something more than make you say, "I want to be a better person." It causes you to say, "The one who loves me captivates me." Now, i gotta, I got to contrast this a little bit. This week um, this week, my daughter and son-in-law came. they brought her a little. Our little uh, granddaughter, Allie, she's, she's two years old. So all this week, I've watched Daniel Tiger.
1: <laughs>
0: I've watched uh, Puffin Rock. I've watched Peppa the Pig. And, uh, and I learned something. I learned when you, when you sing about morality, you don't sing to God. You sing about what you're supposed to do. So here in Daniel Tiger, they have great morality songs. If you need to go potty, stop and go right away. And they sing that over and over again. So here I got this two-year-old thinking, if I need to go potty, stop and go right away. If you don't feel well, tell a, tell an adult that you don't feel. And you sing these things. Oh, thank God that week is over. I don't have to watch Daniel Tiger anymore. But it's in my head now and it's a song. See, I'm not singing about God. I'm singing about what I'm supposed to do. I'm singing about how I'm supposed to act. I'm not singing love songs. I'm singing about how I should behave. You see, if you reduce Christianity to that, you no longer have Christianity. You have a morality. You have a religion but you no longer have a relationship with the living God and you no longer have an encounter with the love of God which causes you then to erupt in praise and song. And God is not looking for people who will just be obedient. He's looking for lovers. And so that's why Paul turns us into this single stream of love for Christ. But more than that, he he is explaining as he sings a song to us in Ephesians 1, he's explaining that That the success that you're looking for, the blessing, the, the, the triumphs that you're looking for will not happen unless you understand that you have entered into a reality that is not just this physical world, not just the natural realm, but your eyes have been opened to the fact that you must now have the resources to encounter all the supernatural realm that is intersecting with your life. And he calls that realm the heavenly realm. And what he's saying is that if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you not only need the resources to survive in our society, you need the resources to overcome the attacks of the enemy. And the reality is that you will not have true success unless you have what Paul calls here spiritual blessing. The, the origin of that blessing is the Spirit of God. The reality of that blessing is that it applies not only to your natural state, but also to the things that are happening around you that sometimes you're aware of and sometimes you're not. But one of the things that Paul is saying is that in Christ, a new door, a door into a new reality has has opened for you and you have awakened to the fact that there are things going on in your life that are not explained simply by natural means. And the fact of the matter is that the longer you travel in this faith with Christ, you will see things that can't be unseen. For example, I have, I have heard the audible voice of God three times. I, I grew up as a Presbyterian. He's not supposed to talk to you. And so I was shocked in the first time I went to the psychiatrist and said, am I crazy? Because I heard the voice of God. They say you're crazy, but I think you did hear God's voice.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, and the other two times, every time I've heard it, it's been a major transition in my life. And everything he said to me has come true. But at the same time, you not only have this dynamic encounter with the spiritual realm of, of good, angels and God himself, but you also have a dynamic encounter in your life, your marriage, your family, your job, your relationships. You have a dynamic encounter with that which is evil. And this, when you see it and you recognize there are things behind the things that are happening, We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. One day I was uh, doing marriage counseling. And uh, it was one of those optimum moments where the wife had forced the husband to come. They're always so willing to change when the wife makes them come to counseling. It's a joke, people. They're not so willing, all right? They hate that. It is the worst thing, and I hate it too. And so I'm talking to this guy and he's getting madder, he's getting angrier, he's getting angrier. Now this guy was really an abuser. He was physically abusive, emotionally abusive. And what I find with people who are abusive is they're actually very fearful people who think they're powerless and use their physical in order to intimidate people. But this particular guy had also opened the door to the occult. And so that day, as he got angrier and angrier with me, his body, and I know this is going to sound strange, but his body transformed into the shape of a wolf. And before my eyes, his eyes became red, his face became wolf-like, ears, all of this stuff before me. Now, this may surprise you, but it absolutely didn't surprise me. And it did not. Now, he was trying to use supernatural things to intimidate me, to scare me, but I know Satan and I know his marks and I know his demons and I know what they do and I know what their purpose is and so I just bound that spirit, rebuked it. The guy left more afraid of me than I was of him. What happened, he, he was so upset he never forgot that encounter and a number of months later he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Went into rehab and got his family back. Now listen, Once you see things, you can't unsee them. Once you've heard things, you can't unhear them. And you can't just say, that was my imagination at some point. And the reality is what Paul is saying, friends, is you cannot survive and even overcome in this Christian life unless you have also the resources to deal with the heavenly realms that are intersecting with your realms. And so Paul says there is this astonishing claim that he makes He says, you have been blessed, it's past tense, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. This is an absolute kind of language. There is nothing being held back from you whatsoever. Now the problem for many of us is we have so watered down what the word blessing means. Now I'm from the south, we use the blessing like this. Man, that, that guy is ugly as the day is long, bless his heart. She is dumb as dirt, bless her heart. You know, And so you say the worst insult and then you bless them, you know? Kind of a thing. And you get away with saying terrible things. But, but even here in New York, it's always fascinated me. Anywhere that I am, if I sneeze, a hundred strangers will say, bless you. I think what they're saying is, please, keep those germs away from me. <laughs> but most of us, when we say bless you, we're basically saying we hope good outcomes come. We hope that somehow a favorable outcome will come in your life. But that is not the biblical idea of blessing. The biblical idea of blessing is based on the shalom, the shalom of God entering into your life. And basically, you could define it as this. Every joy and every benefit that you need, that your heart needs, that's the blessing of God. Right now, He has blessed you with the shalom of God, which means every joy you need in 2019 is yours. Every benefit that you need in 2019 that corresponds with the true heart of hearts that you have, it is there for you to experience. But you must be established in Christ for that to be true. As a matter of fact, this is so essential that there be a humility and a longing for Him to fill that place that really the shalom, the blessing of God is this. He wants to make you fully into everything He intended you to be. And He has for each one of you in this room a glorious destiny that can only be fulfilled if you begin to rely on the resources that He has. He said, Paul said it this way, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches, in glory, so it's not even dependent on your circumstances, in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me? See, you might be the worst Christian in this room, and there's a test at the end of the sermon to see which one of you is. But if you get this today, you will stop being somebody who looks at all your failures, or who looks at all the all the challenges that you face in your life or looks at all the places where you feel weak and instead you'll begin to say to your challenges i am blessed not cursed i am favored of god i am the head not the tail i am a child of the most high god and instead of the curses speaking to you you learn to speak to them And that is the way that you reverse it. Because if He's provided it, the only one keeping you from it is you. So how do I get these? Are are you hearing me? So how do I get these and establish these in my life? Well, the first thing is to know this isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just positivism. As a matter of fact, it's a truth that is already true, but you have to believe in it to experience it. The truth is there. The Scripture says that every blessing that you need, every joy, every benefit, everything that you need to fulfill you being the fully formed human being you are meant to to be, is waiting for you. But it's all waiting for you in Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul repeats this phrase over and over again throughout this passage. In Christ, in Him. What is he saying? He's saying that Christianity is this radical spiritual transformation, a transplanting of your life from being in the world, in your parents, in your marriage, in your job, or whatever it might be. And He takes you out of the ground of that and He puts you into Christ. That you are in Christ. You're no longer alone. You're no longer connected to sin or death. You're no longer connected to cursing and guilt and shame. But you're now connected to righteousness and power and strength and love and the presence of God. He puts you into Christ. That's why it can't just be a religion that you try to work. It has to be a relationship that's real to you, that you've encountered Him, that you even sing to Him because He's yours. And you're His. As a matter of fact, what happens is, by putting you into Him, then everything He is is yours. And everything He has is yours. So the, the word in means It It's a union. And... The closest analogy is a legal union which we have in marriage. In most places, when you marry someone, their goods, their property, who they are, their name, whatever it is, all of that becomes yours, even if you didn't earn it. That's why it's good to marry rich, I guess, you know? You know, you, 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 you get what they have and it becomes yours. It's legally yours, even if you don't deserve it. You think about it. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we bring our baggage. He takes our baggage and He gives us His beauty. How does He do that? Well, believing in Him, you're you're legally united to Him. Here's what that means. That when He died, you died with Him. United in His death, God treats you as if you died with Him on the cross. Now a lot of Christians get this. They say, I know Jesus died for me and they're just so grateful that He has that sacrificial love for you and that is an awesome thing but let me tell you, that's not where all the blessing is. The blessing comes not that He died for you but that you died with Him. Which means if you're sitting there today and you're filled with guilt because you screw up all the time, you haven't understood your union yet. You and I live in a lot of faults. Satan produced guilt and shame that we go I'm not worthy, I'm not able, you know, all of this all of this negative kind of unblessing type thinking because we don't realize that's already been taken care of. See, if I died, my guilt died. If I died, my shame died. If I died, my addictions died. If I died, my attractions died. That's why Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God because you did die. And God treats you as if... And you go, but I feel so alive. Yes. Because you're still living in this body. One day after you die, you will realize, oh, this thing ain't so powerful. And you'll realize who you really are in all the fullness of what Christ has accomplished for you. But what He has done... Though he's not taking you from the presence of sin, he has destroyed the power of sin and he's taken the penalty of sin. And one day he will take you away from the presence of sin. Oh, come on, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. So again, I look at you and say, okay, which one of you is the greatest failure as a Christian in this room? Which one of you is the least holy? Which one of you is the least, you know, whatever it might be? You are just as dead, And maybe more so than the one who thinks himself to be the most holy in this room. Because the only thing that matters is, did I die with Christ or did I not? Because if I'm still alive, then I'm still full of of guilt. I'm full of shame. Let me me express it to you. I'm not trying to disrespect other religions or other religious leaders, but as far as I know, Mohammed is still dead. As far as I know, Gandhi is still dead. As far as I know, Buddha is still dead. All of these leaders are still Confucius. They're all dead. You know why? Because they died in their sins. Dead death had something on them. There's a deeper magic in this universe that if, if you go into death with sin in you, the hooks of death attached to you and you never come back from death. Only the Lord Jesus Christ went into death carrying your sin, dying in your place, my place, But when death tried to get its hooks in Jesus, all it found was righteousness, obedience, purity, power, strength, all of those things. And so death could not hold Jesus. And on the third day, He rose again from the dead. So that if not only are you treated as if you died with Christ, you're also treated as if you are raised with Christ. You are legally raised from the dead. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was His vindication. It was His triumph. Scripture says that he came into heaven like a Roman conqueror came into the Colosseum and they threw the crowns at him and they threw the gold at him. They threw all of the honors at him. They penned all the medals on his chest. And what the Bible is saying that legally now, friend, all his medals are on your chest. All his crowns are now in glory on your head. See, what many of us do is we go around saying, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, nothing good ever happens to me because we're still thinking I got to wear my crown. I got to forge my victory. I got to make my triumph. See the only way that you come into the blessings of every spiritual blessing is if you humble yourself and you say the crown that I could forge would never be sufficient. But the crown of Jesus is more than sufficient. It gives me value. It gives me worth. It makes it to where even if the whole world is against me, I know who I am and I know how much I'm worth. I'm worth the very life of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me and I am died with Him and I am raised with Him and His honor is my honor. That's what this means. See That's why it can't simply be I'm going to try to be a good Christian. I'm going to try to be a moral person. Quit wasting your time. I mean, it takes a, a tremendous amount of humility to say, I will never forge a crown worthy of life. You know, Can you, can you, can you imagine how stupid it is? You go, I'm not going to take your crown, Jesus. You keep your crown. I'm going to forge my crown. I'm going to have the crown of Mike. And then you die. And you have no crown. But you have plenty of sin. And so you go down into the depths of death and you never come out. Because of the life that you forged for yourself, the life that you made, has no honor but dishonor. And as great or powerful or wonderful as certain religious leaders have been, they're dead and they're not alive. Because death, they died in their sins and death still holds them. You have to realize it takes incredible humility. But once you have that humility, then you have that crown. You have that triumph. His triumph is my triumph. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and even to die is gain. That's what it is to be in Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Are you getting this? See, it doesn't... uh, Any of you that thought, well, I'm just not good enough. Yeah, that's the whole point. Oh, I'm just not worthy. Yeah, that's the whole point. You only need to be united to Christ if you're not good enough. You only need union with Christ if you're not worthy. If you're worthy, you shouldn't even be here this morning. You should go start your own church of you. We'll see how good that is. We'll follow you on Facebook. From a distance. But believing in Him, we not only get this legal union with Him, but we get organic and vital union. His Spirit comes and lives in us. And it's not just any old spirit. And it's not even the same same interaction or the same experience that the Old Testament saints had. As a matter of fact, you and I who are believers in in this New Testament era, we have the Spirit of Christ. We have the Spirit who incarnated the Word of God in Mary's womb. We have the Spirit who anointed Him for ministry, who did healings and resurrections and grew back uh, lame, lame arms and legs, and, and eyes that couldn't see, and ears that couldn't hear. We have that same spirit that when he was in the depths of death, resurrected him from the dead, and now dwells in us. I, I am not here trying to live my life for God. God is living my life in me, and I'm living my life through him. Yeah. You understand, you have something Moses didn't even have. You have something Abraham didn't have, David didn't have. You have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. His life is alive in every believer. But you have to begin to yield to Him. He's not your assistant, you're His. And uh, many of us, when we pray, we reflect back how much we want Him to be our assistant. Do my will. Bless my plan. Do my agenda. He's never going to take that job. And He's always going to say no to your idolatry. Well, what this means then, friends, is either you're in Him, Paul says, or you're not in Him. It's not a process. It's not a progression. You're either adopted or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. Now, the coming to Christ might be, or coming to faith might be a process. I One of the people I respect the most, I, I heard him when I was in college, was uh, the Surgeon General uh, C. Everett Koop. And he was an amazing surgeon, but he was also a, an incredible man of God. And he tells the story that when he was at, his, at the height of his fame as a surgeon, he had separated conjoined twins and, and like, revolutionized the whole process of how you do that and his wife said to him in the his moments of greatest triumph she said you got to go to church and so he started going to this 10th avenue presbyterian church a great preacher there by the name of donald gray barnhouse and he's he's in the service and he says when i first went to that church i disagreed with everything the pastor had to say But I sat there for a year and at the end of the year I realized I agreed with everything the pastor had to say. (laughs) And what he said is at some point in the process, a change of ownership took place in my life. A change of source of what was ultimate to me, you know. So what we're saying here is that salvation, the Bible says, coming to faith in Christ, coming into a right relationship with God through Christ, is by grace, not by works. And if it's by grace, at some point, you either receive it or you don't. So, I meet people all the time, and and because I'm a pastor, I can ask religious questions. And so I say, are you a Christian or something of that sort? And, I'll, and, and sheepishly, often people say, well, I'm trying to be. You see, that means they don't understand, and they're probably not Christians. Because what they're saying is, it's not of grace, it's of works, and I'm trying my best to be a Christian. And see, if you're trying, you're not. You either are or you aren't. That's kind of a Yoda saying from some Star Wars. Either try or try not, you know, kind of a thing. But the idea here is, if it's grace, at some point you receive it and you're never the same. If it's not grace, then it's not Christianity. It's not faith from the Bible. let, Let me illustrate this from the lives of two people who were radically changed by grace. Now, if you think about it, Paul who writes Ephesians, he was a murderer, he was a persecutor, he was somebody who in his religious zeal tried to obliterate all the disciples of Christ, and yet when he was transformed by grace, he came back and was a teacher to the people he persecuted. He was a pastor to the people whose families he had killed. How can that be? Or let's go back to the Old Testament, and as we've been talking about a little bit about David, when we talked about Bathsheba, I mean, here's a guy who probably holds the record of breaking more commandments in one action than anybody else. He killed, he committed adultery, he stole a man's wife, he lied about it, and he coveted it. He nailed five out of ten in one shot. All right? And yet, he's the same guy who writes psalm after psalm after psalm. How is it that these two, knowing, and both of them took full responsibility, how can they go from being those who are murderers and adulterers and all of this stuff, to men who are free. And even Paul writes, if you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. How can they go from what were condemning actions, life-changing, how could you possibly do that, to being people who are free? Well, because they get it. That it's grace. It's not work. Let me me take this further. Please track with me on this. See, what many of us don't understand is that when you're sinned against and when you sin, ultimately, it's really about sinning against God, not you or other people. Now, that's hard for many of us to understand, but David understood this. In Psalm 51, he, he writes this. He said, Against you, Lord and you only have I sinned. Well, when I first read that, when I first read it, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I think Uriah being murdered feels pretty hurt. I think Bathsheba having, you know, her whole life turned upside down by this king feels pretty hurt. Obviously the country feels hurt because he destabilized the entire government. He destabilized the economy, everything because of his actions. How is it that he can say, well, please, please track with me on this. Saying you're sorry never atones for anything. Like, say for example, you lied to somebody and you come back and you tell them the truth and you say, please forgive me. You haven't atoned for it by being honest now. As a matter of fact, you can never go back and undo the broken trust that you just created. They will never be the same. They will never be able to look at life the same because you lied. And so you saying you're sorry doesn't make the innocence come back. You know, when you steal from somebody or you betray somebody or whatever it is, even though you come and you try to make it right or do good or whatever it is, none of that atones. Even tears do not atone for the fact that you have changed somebody's life negatively forever. So even when we say, oh, I'll make it up to you, there's no way we'll ever make it up to you. So the only thing that you can begin to understand is the one who can take what is stolen from you and give it back to you, not only in single measure, but in double portion, is God Himself. So only He, as we understand that we are betrayed, we are hurt, we are, we are wounded, as we understand that He Himself alone can atone for both what's been done to us and what's been done by us. That only in the perfect sacrifice that God Himself provides of Himself, His own Son, and when He poured out that sin, my sin, your guilt, my shame, and He united us to that sacrifice, now I am actually atoned for. I am actually able to forgive. It is legal now for me to forgive because there's atonement been made for what's been done to me and what's been done by me. So that now I can say, because my sin is in Christ, I can say there is no condemnation for me because it all went to Him. But then that that begs this response. If He says, if God says there's no more condemnation, then I have to believe it. Because a lot of you, how you've motivated yourself is you've motivated yourself by anxiety, guilt, shame. Some of you can't even take tests without getting all guilty. I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. So many of us have used such counterfeit and horrible motivations because we're afraid we're nothing, we then try to prove we're not nothing. And so then when we even are unable to meet our own standards of perfectionism, we ridicule ourselves, we condemn ourselves, we punish ourselves, And instead of that being a blessing, friends, all it is is more limitation. Because now you're basing everything on what you can or cannot do. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I have to get to that place where I'm no longer allowing sin, death, guilt, shame, fear to be the motivators of my performance. And... If I'm going to live in that grace and say there's no condemnation on me, I can't turn around and then say, but you're going to, I'm going to make you live under law and I'm going to condemn you. Because if I'm trusting in grace to not condemn me, then I'm going to have to also apply grace to not condemn you so that there is no root of bitterness in me and unforgiveness in me towards anybody else. You understand why so few Christians actually experience this level of blessing? It's because they're unwilling to live without condemnation. Their perfectionism, their fear, all of these things that we use anxiety in order to accomplish what we think we have to accomplish in order to be human beings that we think have some kind of worth or value. We've walked away from being in Christ and instead we are operating in the world. Are you quiet because you're listening or are you about to stone me? Are you hearing me? See, the, the, the blessing of God is that your performance in anything you do would be a, an expression of who you are, not what you're trying to be. Now, in order for that to be fully experienced in our, in our life, and, and what I'm really trying to do today is I'm trying to convince you that you have every right and you have the ability to operate every day of this year in a place of blessing from a place of favor. That this blessing and this favor is so rich and it's infinite. And Paul unpacks two of these blessings in this, in this passage that I want to just at least introduce you to. The first is, he says, we are adopted as sons. And what he means by this is God is the God of everyone. God is the King of everyone, and everyone will stand before God as the judge. But when you come into these blessings in Christ, you are not treated as the servant of the King, and you're not treated as the creation of the Creator. You are treated as the sons and daughters of the Most High God. There is no other place that has such great privilege as being a son or a daughter. I mean, the minute I hear, and I'm not a great father, but the minute I hear that my children are in trouble, I don't go, God, let them work it out on their own. I immediately become more active in their life. My son has opened a couple of restaurants in Nashville, and and I'm really proud of him. But when he was opening the first one, he ran out of money. He was ashamed to say to me, Dad, I'm not eating. But a friend called and said, your son's not even eating because he doesn't have enough money. And you know, immediately I wired him money. He didn't even have to ask. Because you see, when you're in a relationship, father and son... When the son is in trouble, the father becomes more father, not less father. Come on, that's pretty good, right? And so then, I want to say this. I know I'm, I'm trying to pile a lot in here, so will you let your brains kind of go with me here? All right. There's a lot of people who don't like the fact that Paul says that our inheritance is as sons. And they want to change it to a more gender-inclusive language. Let me tell you why you don't want that to happen. Here is why. In the, in the world of Rome in that day, the only one who received an inheritance was the firstborn son. No one else got anything. What he is saying here is whether you are male or female, whether you are from one culture or another, whether you're young or old, whether you have lots of money or no money whatsoever, if you come to Christ, then your status in Christ has nothing to do with your gender or your background or your experience or anything else. Your status has everything to do with Jesus' status. Whether you're male or female, you become the heir of God. You become a firstborn son inheritor. In other words, in Christianity, there cannot be an inequality between men and women. We have no status before God by our gender whatsoever. The only status we have before God is the status that Jesus has won for us. And so whether you're male or you're female, you are the status of the firstborn son. Now, I mean, think about this with me. Any good father disciplines. It's not punishment. It's forming you. People pray this, all. oh God, make me like you. Let me tell you something. He's committed to that. You don't have to pray that. You have to pray, oh God, make me want to be like you, or make me not resist you when you're making me like you. But he is always doing, he is a father committed. I I watched as my little granddaughter, who's so cute and funny, is doing all these things, but she decided to spit on her mother. Now, part of me wanted to laugh, because it was funny. Part of me wanted to say, yep, what goes around comes around, daughter. But the other part of me knew that as funny as it is at 2, it's not funny when you're 30. And if you don't win the battle at 2, you don't win the battle at 12. And so I watched as my sweet daughter trained her little daughter and said, you can't spit on people. And she spit again. And you had to stay with it. And then the father came in and said, you don't spit. And she spit on him. You know. And, and we have a resistance in us even to what is good for us. But he is committed. He puts you in timeout for as long as it's needed. <laughs> Some of you are still in timeout. But the other, the other blessing—and I know I'm going long, but I'm in charge here. Uh, so he, I, I just—I have to explain this one to you because not only you're adopted and you have this incredible access, but you are redeemed. And he says he has redeemed you. And redemption is such an essential aspect. Let me give you quickly just three aspects of redemption. There's a practical one. There's a philosophical one. There's a personal one. Practical one is this. If you get your car uh, impounded in Manhattan, they take it to what's called the redemption center. And you have to go and you have to pay the price for your car. And when they market paid they don't put paid they put redeemed so what's happened is they took your the evil empire took your car hostage and, and you have to go and pay the price to ransom your car and once you have paid the ransom the car is redeemed from its imprisonment and it is liberated it's not just that the debt is paid but now the car is free to be a car It's free to drive and to ride and to use and all of these things. You understand, Jesus paid a price not just to pay the price, but to set you free so that now you become what you were intended to be, not locked away, but redeemed. Now, the second thing is philosophical or theological. All respect to the greatness of Gandhi. But he he, he talks about Christianity in a way that I think you need to understand. He says, every religion recognizes that we're not free that we have ego and we're needy we're slaves but his problem was that when he looked at Christianity and he looked at Christ he said Jesus was not egotistical Jesus was not selfish Jesus was serving and loving and what he what he drew from that he said Jesus is an inspiration for our freedom I'll respect to him but he's wrong if you look at Jesus you look like a terrible person. Because everywhere he was selfless, you are selfish. Even when you do good, you do it for you, not for others. I, how do I know that? Because you want him to tell you how good you did. You understand, what Gandhi missed is this. If you really look at Jesus, it crushes you. It doesn't inspire you, it destroys you. Well, what a what then is the answer of redemption is that He did that selflessness, He did that serving, and He did that loving. He did it for you. He did it so you would be free. And when you come to Him and you receive His blood, when you receive His, his sacrifice, then His love belongs to you. And His heart belongs to you. Well, the third one is very personal and I I wish I would left a lot more time for this, but I'm just going to do it quickly. In the last few months, I've had a taste of heaven. It's been the most interesting few months of my life. See, redemption really means you've lost something. You might not even know you lost it, but it's lost to you. And then you find it. When they told me that Lisa had cancer, and immediately with the treatments and surgery and everything, I lost her for a while. I mean, she was there, and I know some of you who have lost, actually lost them forever to death. And that's far greater loss. But for a while, Lisa wasn't Lisa. She wasn't the woman I, I've been with for 39 years. And, and I just felt this incredible amount of loss. I mean, I felt hope, and I felt your prayers, and I felt the Lord with, but I, I, I tell you, I didn't know if I would get her back. And the sense of loss was so powerful to me. Yesterday I was, I was with her and, and she wanted to go uh, eat out and she wanted to ride in the car and she wanted to get out of the house. And I, I, I knew I found her. I knew that what I lost had been found. And I, I can't tell you the, the feeling because I, I, I tell her, I go, oh honey, I love you so much and I hold her hand and I just sit beside her in just her presence because she's back and because it's really her again and, and I but I don't have the words to say how much it means to me just to be with her and to be beside her. But the truth is the one that I've lost I found. And and I treasure her more than I ever did before I lost her. That's redemption, you see. On the one hand I was lost and Jesus found me and and I have a love for Him like Paul has where I sing His praise. I don't just sing about Him, I sing to Him. But even more than that, He said to me as I, as I was listening, He said, do you not understand? You're the one that was lost to me. And I found you and I'm never going to let you go. And see, everything I feel when I'm just in her presence, He says, I feel that and so much more for you. And, And here's one of the things that happens. Lisa, some days have bad days. You say, I'm so sorry, Mike. I'm not doing well today. You know, I just, I sit there and I go, I guarantee you that's what we say. Jesus, I failed today. Jesus, I'm not doing as well today. And do you know what he says? I lost you, but now I've found you. And do you not understand? I just want to be with you. And, And I hold her hand and I sit with her and we watch TV and it's like heaven has come to earth to me. Am I making sense to you? That's what redemption is. That what was lost is found. The truth is, that's what heaven is. Heaven is where God has stored up everything that you've lost. And when you find it, you will have eternity to treasure it. You'll have eternity to realize the value of what he has prepared for you in the place that he's prepared for you. Will you stand with me? Can you hear me today? Would you, receive, would you receive from the Lord today? Would you, would you raise your, kind of your hands like this, just in an open way? I'm going to give you the words, but and I know they're my words, but I believe that they can be yours as well. We just, I just want you to receive this union. I want you to receive it. I want you to declare it to be your union. So would you say this with me? Lord Jesus... I received this legal union. I died with you. I am raised with you. Guilt, shame is dead. All the honor, all the value, all the glory is in your resurrection. And because you are in me and I am in you, all that triumph is mine. Let that come in. Let it come in. Would you say this with me? Lord Jesus, your life, your spirit is in union with me. Your life is alive in me. I am adopted. God is my Father. I am a firstborn son. I have status. I have access. And I am redeemed. Would you let the emotion of that come in? On every page of your life, He went into the redemption center and He paid the price. And on every page, it says, Redeemed. Every page says, Redeemed. He has set you free to be what you were intended to be. I can't make you feel the emotion that I feel about this right now, but I'm trying to share it with you how much He loves just to be with you, just to be beside you. He is captivated by you. I'm asking that you be captivated by Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year.